So what do you see? Glass of water. How many of you see this as a glass that's half full? How many of you, let's be honest, how many of you look at this and say, this is a glass that's half empty? You are so lying out there. This does not represent the typical statistics that you'll find. But this is a, uh, an age-old quandary. Is this glass half full or is this glass half empty? Or is the glass half empty, half full, or twice as large as it needs to be, as uh, some people might suggest? Now, this has inspired all kinds of uh, commentary and all, all kinds of solutions from different kinds of people. Uh, the cynic wonders who drank the other half. The computer programmer says the glass is full-empty. You have to know computer programming language to appreciate that. I think that's pretty clever. The entrepreneur sees the glass as undervalued by half its potential. The pessimist says half empty. The optimist says half full. The sales rep says, let's talk about the benefits of ice. <laughs> and if you're in sales out there, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. yes. The, uh, the drill sergeant says make the glass do push-ups until it sweats itself full. The phobic says, yuck, someone drank out of it, and it has left its germs all over the glass. Now, I love this one. This is a half-empty kind of person because, you know, starving and, and thirsty in the desert with water all around, all they see are half-empty glasses. Or the physicist who technically looks at it and says, it's half air and half water, so technically the glass is always full. And the millennial, this is for, this is for uh, Nicole and her generation. I cannot make an informed decision about whether the glass is half full or half empty be before I have checked all the reviews on Yelp and TripAdvisor. <laughs> and the radical, thankful child of Jesus says, my cup runneth over. This is a, um, the kind of quandary that Jesus was facing that day. He'd been teaching for a long time, and he comes to a half full, half-empty kind of moment with his disciples, doesn't he? Because there they are, it's, it's been run, running late, and now he's got not only an interested crowd, but a hungry crowd on his hands, and a large crowd at that. And so when Jesus turns to Philip, and he says, well, what are we going to do? We've got all these people here, and how are we going to feed them? And Philip is a half-empty kind of guy, and he says, Jesus... Do you know what you're talking about? We don't have those kind of resources here. There's no Safeways. There's no Giants. There's no ATMs. And even if there were, this is like a half a year's wages. We can't feed all these people. And Andrew, uh, if he could be in either, it depends on this tone of voice, really, whether he's a half full or half empty kind of guy. Because it's Andrew who comes forward and says, but there's a boy here, and he's got two fish and five loaves. If he says it that way, it's like, come on, Jesus, what can we do with this? Or if he says, but there's a boy here, and he's got a little something. He's got five loaves of bread, and he's got two fish. What can you do with it, Jesus? And I think that's the spirit in which he offers it, sort of a half-full kind of way. We've got something to start with. What can you do with it, Jesus? Now, if this were being asked in our day, Jesus multiplying the loaves and fishes, it might go something like this. I can't eat that. I'm a vegan. Has that fish been tested for mercury? Is that bread gluten-free? <laughs> this is a greeting card that was actually passed on to one of our birthday celebrations at our staff. 
This is a story that has had resonance, though. This multiplication of the loaves and fishes, not only in the Gospels, but well beyond the telling of these stories. And if you go to this famous church in the Holy Land, uh, at, at Tagba, there's this wonderful uh, mosaic on the tile floor, and it's become a symbol for the loaves and fishes. How many of you have ever seen this tile representation? It's a fabulous... If you're in the Holy Land, uh, you'll have many opportunities to buy plates and cups and things with this tile on them as a way to remember this story and to bring it back. And so I have a communion set that I brought back with me from Israel a couple years ago with the, with the story of the loaves and fishes on the side. It's in all the Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and some biblical scholars would argue that it's the same story is there more than once because we have this, some of you may know, we have the feeding of the 5,000. We also have the feeding of the 4,000. And there's a debate whether or not those are the same story that sort of took on different form. But however that may be, it's only in John's Gospel that we get this detail. We get the detail that it's a young boy that comes forward and offers what he has And that begins to change everything. It's this little boy who says, because he's got this open heart, and we've been talking about the faith of children for this month. We're doing this series on Jesus and the kids. It's this young boy who paves the way for what's going to happen next with Jesus. He offers, believing that it might be enough, just five loaves and two fish. Now, what Jesus really needed was this boy, this nine-year-old from New Jersey that you may have heard of, this is a true story, who was up in Canada fishing and caught this 600-pound sturgeon. This is just a couple weeks ago. And 10 feet long, it's a, kind of, it's a kind of river where they catch and release so he didn't get to keep it or anything. But Jesus needed some fish like this, didn't he? There's no indication in the text that he got any kind of enormous fish or anything like that, just sort of normal fish, probably salted fish that were being carried that could be eaten later in the day, and just some ordinary loaves. And yet when Jesus takes it, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them, what does that sound like? Do you know those? Did you hear those words? He blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it. We know those words, don't we? The Eucharistic overtones, that sounds like communion. A feast is prepared, and suddenly there is a party, and not only a great celebration, not only do they have enough, but they have more than enough. I love the detail. Sometimes this is, when I read this story, this, to me, seems to be the heart of the story. Not the miracle of multiplying the loaves and fishes, but there are 12 baskets left over. Leftovers too. Jesus does not just meet our needs. Jesus goes beyond that and always provides more than we would ever expect or could ever hope for. Now, we've been talking about the inspiration of children, and as I was thinking about that little boy in this story, I went looking this week for stories of other children who have taken what they've had and multiplied it. This is the story of uh, Abigail Lupi. Now, Abigail Lupi uh, went one day to go sing for her great-grandmother in the senior retirement community where she was living. She was in the health care center. And she gathered a couple of her friends to go sing for her 100th birthday. She thought that would be a great thing, and she thought it was just going to be done with. That would be it, one, one thing. But when she was there, she had such a good time, and she discovered other residents who never got visits from anybody and who also loved the singing. And so what she did was she organized her friends, and then she organized some other girls' groups, and they have now an organization called Care Girls that go around and sing in retirement communities. 
all these middle school ensembles that go and do the same. Her one gift got multiplied many times over. Here is a, a, bear, a, a young man by the name of Blair Gooch. Uh, he was now 13. But right after the, her, the terrible earthquake in Haiti, uh, he was left feeling like he wanted to do something, like many of us were. Like, how can we respond to this tragedy? What could we possibly do in the face of such an enormous need to make a difference? And he knew that as a young eight-year-old that he received a lot of comfort and strength from his teddy bears and from his stuffed animals. And so he went back to his elementary school, and it started there, and then it expanded from there. And he asked other kids to bring in uh, stuffed animals, and then it spread in the community, and the, and the Kiwanis Club got involved, and all these other groups. It multiplied out, and so they sent 25,000 teddy bears and stuffed animals to Haiti for children who had been through that disaster. And there were 22,000 left over to be shared with other nonprofits, to children's hospitals and other places, all because one boy offered a simple gift. Charlie Coons had an older brother who went away when he was in college to Jordan to an orphanage. And when he came back and was telling the stories about these relationships with these kids that were formed over the week, she was part jealous and she also wanted to find a way to connect to these children. And so she did with what a lot of young kids are capable of doing. And she made a little fleece blanket. You know, the little fleece blankets, you can, you can cut the ends and you can tie the knots and turn it into... A, how many of you made... You've probably made blankets like that, some of you. And then she made another one and another one, and she made about six, and then she got some of her friends involved, and suddenly they're sending 50 blankets to this orphanage. It multiplied out. I re read this week about Cain as a young boy out in uh, East L.A. His, uh, his father, a single dad, had no choice but to bring him to work when he was off in the summer, and there wasn't much to do with his auto parts uh, store in East L.A., kind of a dicey part of town, but there was a little storeroom in the back. And so he, would, he had Kane in there, and what he did have were lots of empty boxes and a great imagination. And so what he did was he built himself an arcade. He loved arcade games. He loved to go to the boardwalk, and so he, he made his own pinball machine. He made his own little basketball machine. He made all of these little very crude and very uh, simple uh, toy things, and he had a pass that you could buy. You could, for a dollar, you could get two plays, and for two dollars, you could get the unlimited pass. So one day, well, one of the customers came in, and he, uh, and he saw, he started engaging in conversation with this little boy, and he, and he went back to that back room with him, and he started playing the arcade. Of course, he bought the unlimited pass. That was the, the good deal, two bucks. And the father came back and saw this going on. He knew how much it was delighting his son to finally have a customer. He said, you know, you're his one and only customer, the only one who's been back here. But the guy turned out to be a filmmaker, and he took a real interest in Kane. And he thought, wow, how cool, what a cool story this is. What great imagination this child has. I'd love to tell this story. And he arranged a flash mob to show up through Facebook. So they put it out. He worked with the dad. And, and so the dad took Kane out for lunch one day, and they came back, and there were a couple hundred customers waiting to go to Kane's arcade. It was, he was in his glory and just delighting, and, get, and all the kids were getting prizes. He, had, he just had this wonderful moment. You can see a film about this, uh, because the filmmaker then turned it into a film. It was called Kane's Arcade. They also established a scholarship fund for this young boy in really difficult circumstances. And they raised $240,000, so he'll get to go to college now. 
we might not have gotten to go before. And more than that, they established a foundation called uh, Imagination, uh, Imagination Foundation for other children to have special programs in the summer that they could go to and be part of and nurture their imaginations and de- create and develop. And, uh, so it all started with this one little boy's imagination. This is Ryan Darby. Ryan Darby was a a kid from Bethesda when I was the pastor there, and I have very vivid memories of going to visit him on Christmas Eve back in 2009, when he was just a scared five-year-old who had just been diagnosed with leukemia. He was down at the Lombardi Cancer Center in Georgetown Hospital, and it was, as you can imagine, an overwhelming time for his family as they were coming to terms with what what this would mean for them, what this would mean for him, what it would mean for their lives. And so he went through rigorous treatments and had to be in the hospital, in and out of the hospital, and uh, so many injections and so many bone marrow tests and all of this stuff. Um, Now his mom, Molly, was part of a running group, and the moms used to run together and were part of a couple little sprint triathlons together. And so all these mother moms wanted to know what they could do to support their friend and to support Ryan through this. So since they were runners, they said, well, why don't we have a little triathlon for kids? And they could participate. We'll use it as a fundraiser. In the first year, they raised about $25,000, which was fabulous. But now, in the five years that they've been doing it, they've raised over a half a million dollars for the Lombardi Cancer Center, for the children's section down there. And I'm happy to report that my friend, my buddy Ryan, is doing well. He's in full remission. He's healthy. He's going to school. He's playing. He's just a normal boy now. And that, that one act of generosity, let's do something here, just multiplied over and over. A little closer to home, right here in our own church, you recognize uh, certainly Mar- Marlena on the right, but you might also see her friend Alexis. You can read about them in the n- newsletter this week. And they decided for their Girl Scout project that they wanted to be part of our Heaven's Kitchen mission. And so they've developed a children's area. They brought together games and craft supplies and markers. And now they go, and they've gone many times, and they've established this children's little corner so that when the kids come in to eat and with their families, there's something for them, especially for them. And some, some of you have seen this in action. And now they've finished their project, but now they've made it available to other kids to carry it on. So their project's over, they got their silver award or whatever they needed to do, but now it's available for other children, so it just keeps multiplying as well. Another way to get involved. So this story has a lot of questions for me, and maybe some questions for you as well. And the first question for you is, where's the miracle in the story? You know, for a lot of years, I used to think the miracle was Jesus coming in and going, presto changeo and multiplying the, the loaves and fishes, and, and it may have happened that way. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened. But Parker Palmer opened my eyes to a new way of seeing the story. He says, what if the real miracle of this story is that this young boy comes forward, offers his gifts, and suddenly all of the crowd realizes what they have to give to? That they, all of these strangers realize that maybe they have something that they can share. And so suddenly there's this, the original church potluck breaks out, if you will, where everyone has something to contribute to the feast. And there is so much abundance within them that formerly these strangers have become a community. And they've shared generously with each other. And miraculously, there's 12 baskets of leftovers. 
Now, I don't know about you, but the more I thought about it, that sounds even more miraculous that people like us, normally pretty darn selfish, pretty darn scared, and making sure we've got enough for ourselves, if Jesus could liberate us and make us believe and trust that the world is full of abundance, that's pretty miraculous, isn't it? I love the way one Bible commentator put it this week, said, all we know is this that there were five loaves and two fishes, and at the end, there are 12 baskets of leftovers. But you've always got to account for the Jesus factor, the touch of Christ that makes this kind of abundance possible, the Jesus factor. Do we operate out of a worldview of scarcity or abundance? Which are you? Are you half full or half empty? Or is the cup overflowing? Where have you ever seen grace multiplied? Where have you seen grace multiplied? At the, uh, at the 8 o'clock service, Helen White was talking about the uh, prison ministry going on, the Kairos weekend that just happened with the women. Uh, and she talked about a loaves and fishes kind of moment that they had there. They have a cookie ministry that's part of that, where these cookies come into the prison, and then they're shared with these women on retreat, and something went wrong, and so there were no cookies. And they got sort of uh, waylaid somewhere else. And so they're coming up to this session where the, all, all of these inmates are expecting cookies and there are no cookies to be had. And they finally found some in the, uh, in the chaplain's closet, but they really weren't enough, only six boxes. They said, well, let's put them out, see what, you know, see what we have. And Helen says, no, there was a lot of incredulous uh, folks there thinking that this is going to be enough. And yet everyone had plenty. Women were taking them, putting them in their pockets and taking them in their purses and taking them home back, to the, back with them. And there was a box and a half left when it was all over. She said, this was our loaves and fishes moment just this weekend. Where have you seen grace multiplied? And then finally, what do you have to help get the picnic started? What has God graced you with that you might be willing to share? What kind of talents do you have? What kind of resources do you have that you're willing to share with other people? There was an announcement that came over uh, the intercom of a plane that was on Denver Airport. This is a true story. And they were in line getting ready to take off when the pilot said, I've got bad news and I've got worse news. The bad news is that they've just shut down the airport because the weather is severe. And the worst news is we're going to have to sit out here probably for a couple hours. Ouch. How many of you have ever been on a plane that's just stuck on the tarmac? Not a fun thing. Well, a few minutes later, the flight attendant came on and she said, well, we're going to make the best of it here. I know none of us were planning on this, but we're just going to make the best of it. And I know some of you are hungry and some of you may have to take food and medication and things like that. But we don't, we're not really that well stocked. We have like little bags of peanuts and, and that's it about it. You know. He said, so I'm going to pass around some baskets here and just put in whatever you can. Maybe you have some candy. Maybe you have a sandwich. If there's something you can share, please share. Maybe it's a picture of your family. Maybe it's a good article you brought. Something to help us get through this. And suddenly, as those baskets made their way through that airline cabin, it, they got filled up. And then people started talking to each other. And they started sharing food. And they started sharing stories. And the time passed. And so when they landed their destination finally, Parker Palmer went up to this flight attendant. And, she said, and he said, you know, there's a story in the Bible like this. And she said, yeah, I know. Why do you think I did what I did? 
She believed in the power of abundance, the power of people to be generous with each other. People could turn a very trying and daunting situation into something good, a time of blessing. Mark Cuban, who's the uh, owner of the, the Dallas Mavericks, says this, doesn't matter if the glass is half empty or half full. All that matters is that you are the one pouring the water, that you have the capacity to fill up the glass for someone else. And when that happens, you know that it's going to be a glass half full kind of day or a glass overflowing kind of day, maybe even a 12 baskets full of leftovers kind of day. By the grace of God, we have been blessed with a world of abundance. And by the inspiration of a little boy, just five loaves and two fishes, maybe we'll learn how to share too. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to respond today before we offer our gifts uh, with an affirmation that comes from the Christian aid in Scotland. And I'm going to ask Nicole to come forward. She'll lead the women. I'll lead the men. And this is an affirmation of our faith and a recommitment of our hearts.